Hello and welcome to Swiftly Spoken, a fan-made Taylor Swift podcast in which we analyse her artistry, including her lyricism, music videos and full album retrospectives. As always, we are your hosts Cameron and Lisa, and in this episode we're going to be explaining the infamous fourth album curse, as well as discussing all things Red Taylor's version, which is coming out this week. In this episode, we're going to start off by talking about what the fourth album curse is and explaining it, and then discussing albums and artists that have suffered from this supposed curse. And then we'll move on, obviously, to discuss Taylor's fourth album, which is Red, and whether the album suffered this curse or actually avoided it. And then we'll go on to talk about Red, Taylor's version, all the stuff that we know about it, and um, our excitement um, for its release on Friday. To begin, we're going to be explaining what the fourth album curse actually is. So in the musical fandom world, basically the fourth album curse is a term that is used to refer to a trend that a large number of artists' fourth albums have actually suffered. So this could be by performing poorly, the quality of their sound diminishing in general in comparison to their first three releases, or for a number of other reasons which we're going to be explaining right now. One of the main reasons that it's said that many artists' fourth albums seem to perform poorly in comparison to their other three is that by this point in their careers, they're very well established and they may be suffering from burnout, which leads to a lack of creativity and not really knowing how to make their next album different or stand out. Also, by this time, usually artists have developed Uh, large fandoms that have followed them throughout their first three albums and these fans usually have quite high expectations from the next album. So sometimes when this album comes out due to all of this coming together it leads to disappointments. Another influencing factor is that by the time an artist's fourth album comes around the musical scene has usually shifted. So even if we look at Taylor Swift as a a case study. Her first album released way back in 2006, and by the time Red came out, it was 2012. So a new generation of artists have appeared by then. The scene has changed, things have become less popular, more popular. So sometimes artists have to learn to adapt with the times. And unfortunately, sometimes these adaptions don't turn out how they expected them to. Finally, with all of this in mind, most artists choose to shift their direction sonically at this point in time, changing to adapt to these the, the new music scene and the, the times as we've just described, or sometimes because they've just become bored of their sound. And these changes sometimes don't sit right with the fandom or aren't as popular. And sometimes the general public aren't as accepting or embracing of these changes. All in all, this fourth album curse can be summed up as many artists' fourth albums coincidentally underperforming, being a bit worse in comparison to their other body of work, not selling as much, not charting for as long, or in general just not being as popular with the general public. So Cameron, what is your opinion? Because this is quite a controversial curse. Some people think it's real. Some people think it's just this like um, accumulation of all of these things coming together and just being a big coincidence. Do you believe in the fourth album curse? 
Um, I don't know. I think like you said, it's like, um, I think the kind of combination of already having three albums, establishing a sound, but not wanting to just run with that sound forever and wanting to create something new and exciting. That's, I think sometimes it artists almost create the curse themselves um, right, rather than yeah. it being a curse, if you know what I mean. I think one of the ones that I can really get behind is more of the sophomore, the second album curse, because it's that idea mm-hmm. of having to, if you've had such a huge debut, uh, like people like Billie Eilish or Adele um, or even Ed Sheeran, you've then got to live up to that again, but create something that is that is so different that, that you know, is then exciting, but then it's as, as successful as the first one. Um, mm-hmm. And also there's just this pressure because the first album you kind of spend your whole life making almost, and then the next one you only really spend two years or less um, making to try and stay relevant. So I think the sophomore album curse... I can get more behind than the fourth. So I yeah, it's I'm not it's an odd one. I think it's an interesting analogy, but I'm not sure if maybe I am fully behind it and whether it's just coincidence. Yeah, I I do agree. I do think it is like this all of these coincidences come together, but it is interesting to look at logically and think, well it makes sense that a lot of fourth albums underperformed because of these these reasons you know the change in time the change in music scene and by this time a lot of artists do want to change up and sometimes unfortunately it doesn't go down too well like you said we're going to look at some examples now to illustrate this curse some of these albums include avril lavigne's goodbye lullaby rihanna's rated r lady gaga's joanne katy perry's witness justin bieber's changes ariana grande's sweetener ed sheeran's number six collaborations project and Shawn Mendes's Wonder. So what do you think about these? Do you think that these albums have suffered a curse? Yeah, so each of these kind of have their own peculiarities. Some of them um, are said to have suffered the curse because of poor sales performances, others because the change in the sound was just not very well received, and others because um, they didn't get any like number ones on charts and things like that. So each of them does have their differences, and we don't want to offend anyone by saying, you know, they suffered the curse. It's just what, you know, information that we found and uh, what many fans believe. Uh, But yeah, there are some here that when you look at these albums, just that list read out as a whole, and you think of the artists, they are the ones that, in my opinion, kind of don't stand out as much as other albums. Like, I don't, whenever someone says to me, what's Ed Sheeran's best album? I don't think of number six collaboration. I haven't even listened to it. I haven't even listened to it. Or like Shawn Mendes' Wonder, I couldn't even tell you what the lead single is. um, Right, Or anything off of that album. Um, Mm -hmm. Which again, this is not, you know, for people who do enjoy the albums, that is perfectly fine. As we'll discuss, usually these albums, though they're considered to be cursed, like by the general public, fandoms do usually embrace these albums just as well as any other ones but yeah looking from an outside perspective but Mm -hmm. like Katy Perry's Witness for example when you think of one of the boys Teenage Dream and um, yes and Prism Uh, Prism. these albums were huge and then Witness did just kind of fall off a little obviously Change the Rhythm as a single was massive um, Mm -hmm, or at least it was was. in the UK it was huge here but I think Mm -hmm. the sound I think the issue is is she changed up the sound but it's almost a bit like I think the thing with Katy Perry now is the same thing kind of happened with her recent album Smile Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the issue is is that then she tried to replicate because of Witness not necessarily doing as well because she did alter the sound a bit with Smile she tried to go back to those kind of teenage dreamy kind of sounds Um, and maybe people were like yeah we've heard that before 
you know we yeah, want something different I think yeah. that's the thing that artists suffer from is that people are asking for something different but sometimes if they make it too different people turn around and go no actually I don't really like that and things like obviously Justin Bieber's changes were not as kind of successful as other albums again I don't really know many I don't think I can name a single off of it but right. weirdly Ariana Grande's Sweetener I personally mm-hmm. don't think that that did suffer the curse. Right, yeah. This when you... one, when I was like reading about it and that, it's kind of divided again because Sweetener obviously did do very well. It it won a Grammy after all. Yeah. It, you know, the era, the era was cut short, and Thank You Next was kind of given to fans very very quickly after that. So that's one of the reasons that it's kind of considered in the curse. Yeah. Um, I just think when you think of those like kind of No Tears Left to Cry, God Is a Woman those yes, huge singles it spawned massive singles mm. but i think this also came from the fact that some songs on the album weren't necessarily what fans were expecting no. um or what the general public was expecting because again yeah. talking from an outsider's perspective uh pharrell's production some people it didn't sit right with some people no. and i do have to say that i much prefer thank you next to sweetener oh me too i do i think yeah i think with sweetener there's some really really standout songs on there um, yeah, there's a lot of some... hits, but there's a lot of misses. Yeah, I think when you think of like Blazed, um, the one with Missy mm. Elliott, I'm not a huge fan of. Um, mm. Or The Light Is Coming, they just mm. kind of don't translate as well. Um, yeah. In comparison to God Is a Woman, Breathing, No Tears Left to Cry, the kind of big singles. I, yeah, I think it's a weird one, that one, because um, it did quite well. Like, it, I think it, I'm sure it went number one. Whereas in comparison, yeah. Dangerous Woman didn't go number one in the US. Right. It only went mm-hmm. to number two. So obviously she had that and then she had a huge, huge singles. Um, but then obviously the, the era was kind of cut short, but then was kind of then dragged into the Thank You Next era with the kind of Sweetener World Tour, even though yes. it was the kind of the Thank You Next as well. So yeah, it's interesting that that one then was kind of tagged along with Thank You Next. Um, and it's weird, almost these albums sometimes in the end, it, over time, become bigger than they kind of were. This is something we're going to discuss with Red, just to not say too much yet, but yeah, I think you're correct. Some of these these albums, in retrospective or looking back or with a different kind of frame of mind, they do perform pretty well. I mean, Lady Gaga's Joanne, I know it wasn't like this amazing radio hit album, but I have listened to a few songs off of it and I do quite enjoy it. I think it is quite a fan favourite as well. And then even when you think of um, Number Six Collaborations Project, that had some big singles, the Justin Bieber single, um, mm-hmm. the I Don't Care. Um, but then again, in comparison to things like Multiply or Divide, it this did not it. obviously kind of hit those huge numbers. Um, yeah. So no, it is interesting that there is this weird pattern with the kind of fourth album thing. But, That's um, funny. I wonder if Ed kind of felt a bit like this because obviously Number Six Collaborations Project is just a random kind of album placed in the middle of the other numerical albums because obviously yeah. you've got, you know, Plus, whatever, uh, Multiply Divide. divide yeah. And then you suddenly got this one. Now we've gone back to equations again, if you like, yeah. equals. Um, so That's I wonder thing. if this he one kind is... of Whether he felt actually deems like the this... curse. Yeah. yeah whether he deems this one his fourth because yeah. technically it's a collaborate because obviously he had number six collaborations which was more of an ep um number five yeah number five yeah. sorry yeah number five collabs, mm-hmm. which was more of kind of an ep yeah back this in one the day. this yeah. one was kind of more of an album an album yeah um so it was interesting so yeah as we've said the list is very varied some can be judged differently to others depending again avril lavigne's goodbye lullaby wasn't as big as a hit of as her first uh, a few albums 
Um, whereas Sweetener, as you said, did have these like singles uh, that were hits, but then the album itself kind of was, it received mixed reviews, shall we say. Yeah. So each of the albums kind of have their own differences as to why they're considered as part of the curse. But of course, within the fandoms, I think all of these albums are loved. Oh yeah, and also just to kind of um, reiterate, these obviously are opinions in some people's eyes. Also, under these examples, we wanted to talk about two more cases quickly. So firstly, uh, we could just briefly discuss Adele's upcoming album, which will be her fourth album. What do you think? Are you expecting this to be a big change? Is, is it going to be a flop? I'm not. I'm not. So obviously Adele is like a titan in terms of music industry, sales, mm. streams. She is just like a titan. Like I said, she is like huge. Every single album has been massive, crazy physical sales, number ones just kind of expected. And obviously the hype around this is huge. But I think what Adele is going to possibly fall into the trap of is doing the same thing right me, so the opposite really no change yeah, in sound yeah for me the song easy on me is a great song and a mm-hmm. great adele song but new it could have been a right. song off of 25 it could have been a song off 21 and it's a great song don't get me wrong I, I think that she might possibly fall into that trap of just making another adele album but i think because she is so huge and the general public loves her so much and she has such a kind of, that it doesn't matter because that's what people yeah. want people want a sad Adele album of course yeah so, so I think that she uh will possibly suffer the curse in terms of making the same thing but okay. won't actually suffer it in terms of sales or um critical response right that's that's really well put I agree so so long having passed between her third album and this album is another reason why some fourth albums sometimes underperform. Uh, but we shall, see, we shall see. I don't think she will underperform the same as what you think. The general public do love her a yeah. lot. Um, but yeah, a different kind of curse, perhaps. Okay, and finally, we also wanted to mention another titan in the industry, Beyonce's fourth album, which was aptly named Four. So we're not going to really discuss this here, but I do want to mention and shout out Pop Dissected on YouTube, which is an amazing channel that talks about all different kind of pop music and dissects it, as the name implies. And they spoke about Beyonce's fourth album and how it avoided the fourth album curse as well. So what was interested in that interesting in that video is that uh, Beyonce's fourth album kind of didn't spawn as big a singles as her previous three albums. However, it the era itself seems to have avoided the curse by having these really amazing standout performances. But for more information, we do recommend that you go visit Pop Dissected's channel, as it was a very interesting video and gave us a lot of information about the fourth album curse in general. Speaking of YouTube, we just wanted to quickly mention that if you are watching this episode on YouTube on Swiftly Spoken Podcast, then please do give it a like to let us know that you are enjoying it. Leave us a comment about whether you think that the previously mentioned albums suffered the curse or not, and make sure to follow us as well. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple, also make sure to save the episode or give us a review. We'd really love to see uh, your opinion and what you think of our episodes. Now we are going to be finally discussing Taylor's fourth album, Red, and why some people may believe that it suffered the fourth album curse. (music) 
the lead up to the release, the shift in sound, which received some pushback, and a couple of particular events that we'll be getting into in just a minute during the Red Era, make some people classify Red as having suffered the fourth album curse. However, we actually disagree with this and believe it avoided it, and we're going to be explaining why. So to detail some of the reasons why people may classify Red as having suffered this fourth album curse, firstly, we have uh, that Taylor was one of the artists that decided to change up her sound with Red. So obviously the debut album, Fearless and Speak Now were all country albums. Though there was always some pop sensibilities in some of the songs, Red was the first time that Taylor really explored and moved closer to the pop genre. We can only but imagine that just as with 1989, there must have been some pushback from Big Machine and Scott that kind of affected the creation of Red because Red in the end was classified as a country album, not as a pop album, though most of the singles from Red are pretty much pop. So obviously with the release of We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together, it was a big shift for Taylor from this country sound to more of this pop sound. And many fans also, I don't know how they received it. How did you feel about it, Cameron, when you saw this change? I remember when, yeah, when it first kind of, when we first heard We're Never Ever Getting Back Together, I was really kind of like, whoa, like it just was different. It was a bit like Shake It Off was more of a whoa, because that was so wildly different. But I do remember thinking, gosh, this is this is this is different. Like you can tell that she's definitely moved into the pop world. The music video felt like more of a pop kind of music video. Um, it just there was a definite shift, and it's obviously funny because, or even though the other songs were pushed obviously onto pop radio, this was kind of the first time where the pop radio and the country kind of um, radio stations were kind of pushed in different ways so we're never ever getting back together had a kind of country mix that was given to country radio stations appeal to country listeners because maybe it felt like we're never ever getting back together was too pop and then obviously the standard kind of one that we all know was kind of given Mm -hmm. to kind of pop stations and it's interesting how now even with taylor certain songs are pushed on country radio um with obviously the with the kind of release of red taylor's version there's obviously discussion that the chris stapleton um feature will be put onto uh, country radio so it's interesting to see actually whether the vaulted songs are more country or whether right. they are more pop and whether um taylor was taking out some of the country ones to put more pop ones on or the opposite so it's interesting to see really because yeah red is this kind of it is such a kind of um mosaic Eclectic. Of different, yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah kind of uh sounds that it's weird that um it's interesting that um it was kind of classified as country. And yeah, it's interesting with We're Never Ever Getting Back Together, how it had a country mix, which I would suggest listening to. I actually really do like it. Um, so no, it is interesting. Um, how, how do you feel about it? Do you think that it sits in the pop world or it sits in the country world better? Yeah, I think it's it's crazy because obviously Taylor does fall into this trope of by the time the fourth album comes around, kind of changing up the sounds. So mm. this could be very dangerous in a way. She had no idea how fans would react. Obviously, in retrospective, we know that people enjoyed it, people loved yeah. Red. It really did, in my opinion, set the foundations for Taylor being able to transition into pop, but also kind of appeal to both audiences. And yeah. um, we can see that by what you described, the We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together single having like a country mix and, and its normal pop version. And I think, I'm glad that she did it. I'm glad that Red is this crazy, like, 
mix of sounds and and songs uh but i can understand how many people could see it as like a dangerous move especially at that moment yeah and obviously this album this phrasing is used endlessly to discuss this album and obviously the fifth 1989 this idea Mm -hmm. of it being sonically cohesive or not sonically cohesive and obviously red is often described as not being sonically cohesive and Taylor is very obsessed with that kind of phrasing, especially around that kind of time during the 1989 era. Mm-hmm. Um, this so is now... another point to discuss mm. when we look at the fourth album, Curse. Many people saw Red as kind of like what we've described, this mix, this patchwork quilt of different sounds. And it led to people kind of not being very happy with it being that. It was like, like you said, Taylor became obsessed with people criticizing it for not being sonically cohesive, so much so it led to 1989 being what it was. Yeah. But so... then what's quite interesting is obviously Speak Now, I wouldn't necessarily describe that as a sonically cohesive album. Right. When you think of songs like Better Than Revenge, Mean, then you go to um, Last Kiss, you know, there's like massive yeah. differences even just on that album. Not as much as Red, um, but it's interesting that she was really kind of that that album was picked apart because of that because of you know going from yeah all too well to 22 to begin right. again to i knew trouble is, um, yeah it is a bit of like you get a bit of whiplash when you yeah. go through that and it reminds me in many ways of lover yes uh, lover's track list is pretty similar in the sense that you get you know so you get better then you go to full scored and it's like oh god where yeah. am i and and i would possibly say that her most unsonically cohesive album is probably lover um mm-hmm. Because with Red, at least there's this kind of constant theme going through all the songs. And That's true. even though they're very different, they do feel all kind of part of the same universe. Whereas with Lover, and I'm not saying this in a uh, dissing it at all, but the songs are so different. When you think of like right. Cool Summer, to Soon You'll Get Better, to Me, to False God, to Daylight, to It's Nice to Have a Friend, Cornelia, you know, Cornelia Street, all of them are like totally kind of different. Um, so it's interesting that obviously then with Lover she wasn't concerned about the kind of sonically cohesive mm. element. So no, yeah. it, is, it is interesting and maybe the reason for it not being sonically cohesive was this fear of either sounding too much like how she did or sounding too different. The middle ground where there is country songs that appeal to the country fans and the fans that have been there since the country days, but then there's also pop songs that appeal to new fans and the general public in radio. So having discussed this changing sound and these mixed kind of reviews and how people received it, finally, we have to discuss the main event that make many people classify the Red album or the Red era as being cursed. And that event is the Grammys. So Taylor was nominated with Red for Album of the Year at the 56th Grammy Awards in 2014. And this event has become an infamous moment within the Taylor Swift fandom. When the winner was actually announced, it did seem for a split second that it could have been red as it was announced, uh, how it was pronounced when it was announced, the album that one started with an R as well. So just for that tiny millisecond, it did sound like they were about to say red. However, red actually lost and random access memories by Daft Punk won. This event has gone down in Swifty history as being like one of the biggest moments of letdown both for Taylor and the fandom and everyone involved basically and many people saying that she was robbed of that Grammy and also a lot of people you know saying the meme that has become Red deserved 
a Grammy. So having said all this and all these reasons for the Red Era or the Red Album being considered to have suffered from the cast, we are now going to refute them and explain why we think that Red actually avoided the fourth album cast. First and foremost, with the change in sound, Taylor's popularity actually didn't really suffer. Her fans, her main core fan base, did follow her along with this new sound and We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together actually became her first number one single on the Billboard chart. Moreover, Red, the sound of it served as an amazing bridge, which is something that we have been, we discussed previously, to 1989. She changed up her sound, but it reached a larger audience. It spawned chart-topping singles and loads of amazing performances. And to be honest with you, Red has become a fan favorite. So even though Taylor did follow the trope of changing up her sound with fourth albums that are usually cursed, I don't think that it can be classed as a cursed album just because though there was such an eclectic mix of music, all of the singles kind of did really well. And the other songs such as All Too Well became fan favorites. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's just like, a crime to describe Red as kind of a, the four and, and put it in the fourth album kind of cursed category because it was huge. Like, we're never ever going to grab together. 22, I Knew You Were Trouble, some of Taylor's like, biggest hits ever. The album itself was massive, had a massive tour. The marketing campaign and the promotions during that era were massive. People put too much weight on the Grammys and whether uh, an album or era is nominated or wins and then therefore whether it's successful and i think Mm -hmm. sometimes albums can be just as successful and just as big without kind of any grammy wins for example uh, miley cyrus's fourth fourth album bangers if you don't include her ep time of our lives if you just include the studio albums bangers is the fourth um that was obviously one of her biggest albums ever with we're uh, with um i was gonna say we're never gonna go out together we can't stop and wrecking ball obviously being two of her biggest hits ever the album was massive the era was huge she was everywhere um that didn't win any grammys but it's still deemed as kind of one of the kind of iconic pop albums so i think that sometimes people put way too much weight on grammy wins and award show success um and then therefore deem something as a flop or not successful because of that but i think that it's unfair to deem that album as cursed um because purely because of Mm -hmm. grammys because, um, like I said, they, that doesn't really hold any weight in terms of... When you think of old classic albums like Fleetwood Mac's Rumours or any kind of Beatles album, no one ever looks back on it and goes, oh, did that win a Grammy? Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, just remembered as this huge album with these yeah. amazing kind of singles and sound and just iconic. Of course, yeah. It, it's always nice to have the album celebrated, especially in that moment. But yeah. as we move through time, just as you said, sometimes you don't look back at it and say, oh, how many Grammys did it win? How many AMAs? Blah, blah, blah you kind of look back at it uh, with what it created, what it was in that moment, the sound of it, it is what it is. It lives as an album with the music on it. And it also becomes more appreciated through time. And that is exactly what happened with Red. Through time, now when people look back at it, it's kind of at the end of 2019, for example, it was classified as top albums of that decade in so many lists and one list in particular is the Rolling Stones list which they placed red in the top 100 of their 500 greatest albums of all time which is such a massive feat for an album that is supposedly cursed so yeah. I think oh, with that definitely you can yeah. say it is not cursed yes <laughs> at all it did not fall into that category and uh, at the time lots of critics um said that um praise Taylor obviously for 
her songwriting um but some critics were divided on the sound and the kind of mishmash of the sound um but then in time um people have kind of gone on to actually look in retrospect and praise the album um, Mm -hmm. and haven't commented really on its um mix-up of sounds um so it's interesting how like we said over time it's kind of changed and the album has just grown and has just kind of become bigger now because it's just become like a kind of staple and essential kind of Taylor Swift album yeah especially with Red Taylor's version coming out now this this episode made sense to us to release at, at this point in time because you really can see how the perspective of Red has shifted. And even from Taylor's point of view, obviously there was that there was that time during like 2014 when 1989 was released where she was so obsessed with this sonically cohesive um, phrase. <laughs> but now she kind of has described Red and looked back at it as like, yeah, it's fragmented and broken because when I wrote it, I was a bit fragmented yeah, and broken. Yeah, and I aren't love, we all sometimes? <laughs> yeah, I love that description of that. And it's interesting how, yeah, even she's thought, no, it, it was like that for a reason because that's how I was and that's how someone that is heartbroken is it's not this kind of linear process of just one sound you know Uh, and there's all these different emotions all these different sounds so I think yeah even Taylor herself has looked back on it and been actually maybe I was slightly harsh on it not being Mm. sonically cohesive so with that obviously we've finished discussing the fourth album Curse and obviously Red's um, involvement in that kind of theory and now we're going to move on to discussing Red Taylor's version because when this episode is released, we only have three days to go, um, which is just mad. It has felt like months and months and months of waiting, months of speculation, hype and excitement. So, yeah, now we're going to properly discuss it, um, everything that we know, everything that we're excited about. Um, but first, I just wanted to ask uh, Lisa, um, how are you planning on listening to the album? Are you going to start start at the start and go right to the end? Are you starting with the vault tracks first? Are you starting with All Too Well 10 Minutes? Because, yeah, I just want to know where you're starting and uh, because we've got 30 tracks to work through. So how how, how are you planning on um, tackling yeah. the album? <laughs> it is a tackle, isn't it? Um, yep. This is a really interesting question. It's a difficult one. I don't know. From the beginning, I've said I want to do start to end, but it's such a heavy album. There's so much, and I don't know if I can contain my excitement to wait yeah the last track to be all too well yes all too well 10 minutes i really do want to discipline myself and go start to end but i might just go too too well (laughs) i think i think i just don't think i could sit through 29 songs and have it staring at me for like two hours (laughs) um so that's what you're going to do then so i think i think i'm just going to start with all too well but the issue is i'm worried that i'll never be able to come off of it right Um, because even (laughs) listening to that song three times that's half an hour hour, which is mad if i listen to it once i would have to listen to it again because I'd be like, oh my God. And that's like right. 20 minutes. <laughs> um, and I'm just worried that I would never then get through Red. Because um, that's the thing that I found with Fearless was that um, because I was get obviously uh, in the UK, um, Taylor's albums are released at 5 a.m. Yes. Um, so it means that obviously you have to get up very early. You're very yep. tired. So having to work through all of these songs, you start to kind of just get a bit tired. Not of the songs, just of being up early. So with Fearless, I found that... Um, I had kind of almost like blanked out a couple of songs and thought, oh gosh, I felt like I didn't really listen to that one properly. Um, so I'm worried that by the time I'll get to All Too Well, I'll be kind of a bit knackered. So I kind of want to start off with it and the kind of excitement. Um, but no, I am, I think that's how I'm going to do it. Start with All Too Well and then work my way through. Um, but I really, really want to hear those vault tracks desperately. 
Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, if I listen to All Too Well first, when I get to the actual one, am I then just going to skip it? Because I've already right. listened to the 10-minute one? Or am I going to sit with the six-minute one? You know, the, yeah, will... the five-minute one? How will this new version of All Too Well affect our perspective of the original All Too Well? Yes, this is the thing that I'm... Because All Too Well is my favourite Taylor Swift song and favourite song of all time. It's funny because when I used to, like, back in the kind of 2012 and stuff, and then during 2014, that was obviously my favourite. But now it's almost like everyone's favourite and I almost feel like, oh, no, I promised (laughs) that I was there first, you know. Um, But um, So, no, it's interesting how massive it's grown. But um, what I'm slightly worried about, but also excited about, obviously, is that... That because the 10 minute one is like the full song how it was supposed to kind of be that I'll never appreciate the original more for again because I'll be so obsessed with the 10 minute one that mm-hmm. I'll feel like the original is lacking almost because it's lacking the more story and more depth I think that I will still appreciate the abridged version like the shorter one yeah just because of how much love I already have for it and also because I don't know how difficult it's going to be to listen to a 10-minute song. I, I don't know. I know there's a lot of songs out there that, that are that long. But it's crazy to think, you know, we're going from like three, four minutes to 10 minutes. It's quite yeah, a big jump. That is a big jump. But I don't know. Until I listen, I can't really tell you exactly how, you're gonna how feel I feel. About it. But we'll have a discussion about that yeah. at some point. And talking about lengths, I guess now we'll talk about some of the lengths of the Vault tracks. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, they have been recently yes. revealed on on the iTunes page, and most of them kind of look like you know decent normal amount. Obviously, we got that all too well. It's ten minutes twenty seconds. Yeah, and then another long one was the Chris Stapleton yes, uh, collaboration. The, I bet you think about me. Mm-hmm. Six minutes. Yes, which is um, obviously long, but like longer than the original all too well. It is, yeah. So I'm intrigued to see um... what they've got to say. Yeah, what they've got to say for six minutes. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it is interesting and it is exciting. But yeah, the other tracks kind of follow the traditional kind of three minutes, 20, like bracket. It's like, I think the shortest one is Run with Ed Sheeran, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I guess the other thing with the Vault tracks is how do you think they're sounding? Do you think they're going to fit with the country side of the album or the more pop side? To be honest, from what we've discussed today, I think we're going to get a bit of a mix. Obviously, the Chris Stapleton, uh, Chris Stapleton being on 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 the track is going to mean that it's going to be more of a country sounding yeah. uh, song. And then, obviously, I don't know what a song such as "Run" perhaps will be more of a pop sounding song. And then I think we might even get some songs that kind of have been adapted and evolved into her, more of her folklore evermore yeah. um sound the yes a bit as like we, we saw on, with fearless yeah mm-hmm. on the vaults with like don't you yeah um, and, and my guess and is going to be the phoebe bridges yes. nothing new i think yes. that one's going to be more of uh of a 2020 or 2021 sounding Taylor, if you get yes, what I mean. I agree, I agree. Definitely with the Fearless Vault tracks, things like Mr. Perfectly Fine sounded like it was taken out of 2010, um, which obviously when it was written, it was yeah. actually written after the album. That sounds like Fearless Speak Now in Taylor, definitely. But then things like Don't You, you could have put that on Evermore, Evermore. Folklore, and mm-hmm. it would definitely have fitted. And even yes. You All Over Me. So yeah, it's The changes, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting to hear, obviously, the original demos that we've heard in comparison to the Taylor's version one. So yeah. Especially with things like Babe and Better Man, whether they'll sound like the ones that were recorded by Sugarland and um, 
How different Little Big be. Town. Yeah, I'm definitely intrigued to hear those. And I'm so excited to hear Babe with Taylor's full studio vocals because I feel like we were slightly robbed. She's basically a backing vocalist in comparison to a yes. proper feature. Um, so no, I'm definitely really excited for that. I'm really excited to hear Better Man. Obviously, the demo leaked and the original recently, 2012 yeah. demo recently. So we were able to listen to that, which was amazing to hear the kind of the original kind of better man and hear those vocals and that emotion um but i'm really excited to hear again how that if that's different if babe's different um mm-hmm. so no it is, it is definitely really exciting um and with yeah, better like... man it, it's going to be very cool to be able to compare like obviously we have her like you just mentioned the recently leaked version i would like to see if she kind of followed in that in that vein or if she decided to make it you know a bit more poppy or yeah or yeah, if or a bit like the follow... kind of the little big town kind of sound. Exactly. If it. you wanted to follow that sound, it's going to be fun to compare. Mm. And, and the, and then the like um, annunciations and the way she sings it is very different to how she sung it at the Bluebird Cafe on right. certain parts. So it's interesting to see whether that kind of bridge section, whether she'll sound like she did at the Bluebird or on the demo. Um, and obviously with certain songs, we've he- heard snippets. So like 22... I Knew You Were Trouble, and obviously recently we heard The Red, the song snippet. It's interesting that we're hearing bits, and how are you feeling about these snippets? In my opinion, at the beginning, this is something that we discussed, like, privately. Um, there was, what was it, 22? That we were yeah. a bit, yeah, we were a bit kind of worried about because it did sound kind of echoey or different, almost as if um, it was, like, sung in a stadium, like a stadium yeah. kind of sound. The Empty Stadium remixes. That's it, yeah, yeah. So I was a bit worried at the beginning, but I trust her. I trust the process. I know that like some people can really hear certain differences between Fearless and Fearless Taylor's version. But when I listened to it again recently, I really just, I, I couldn't, like if you don't sit there and analyze it and overanalyze it, mm. you can live with it perfectly. Oh, I haven't listened to the original Fearless since no. Taylor's version because I prefer it so much more. The way that she sings The Other Side of the Door, um, right the, the the title track fearless i just prefer it so much more and yeah the 22 i was slightly like oh this this is the first time that i thought whoa this sounds like different different but i knew trouble sounds perfect and yeah. the red snippet that we heard sounds yeah, identical sounds really so mm-hmm. no i think maybe it's just the way that it's coming out on instagram or maybe it just sounds slightly different lastly to conclude this episode we just wanted to run through the long list of upcoming events and promotional performances that Taylor seems to be doing for Red Taylor's version. They all are very exciting. So on the 11th, we have the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. As well on the 11th, like there's like five minutes between them or something, she's also going to be uh, going on Seth Meyers' late night show. Then on the 12th, obviously, Red Release at Midnight, EST, which each of you will be a different time for me at 6am for Cameron it's five so we'll be up and about early then on the 13th she is going to be performing on SNL so these are all like the confirmed performances uh, but there are a lot of award ceremonies and nominations that are going on in the next week so we wanted to also mention them as Taylor might turn up I mean she's promoting at the moment so it's a big possibility On the 14th, we have the EMAs, which are the European Music Awards, which are hosted by MTV Europe. Then on the 20th, we'll actually get the HD version and the full performance of Taylor Swift's 
uh, cover of Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow, which she recorded at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for the induction of Carole King recently. That will be released on HBO Max. Then on the 21st, it's the AMA Awards. So another exciting night. Taylor is nominated for a few different awards. So she might turn up. The AMAs pretty much love Taylor. So maybe a performance. After that, on the 23rd, we have the Grammy nomination ceremony, which is also very interesting. Recently, we found out that Taylor uh, submitted mostly Evermore tracks, as she mentioned that she wasn't going to include any of her re-recorded tracks. Uh, so it's interesting to see if she might get a nomination or two. On the 24th of November, we have the ARIA Awards in Australia, which she's also up for a few different prizes. So a lot going on, a lot to... to be excited for. Finally, the last thing that we have to discuss, and we're discussing it in live time, the Good Morning America announcement has just been released and we're going to be giving you our reactions. So a trailer has just dropped for All Too Well 10 minute version, a brand new short film starring, written and directed by Taylor. Oh my God, this changes everything. This it's changes everything. Next day, same time. I'm yeah, just... it comes out the same time as the album by the looks of the thing, of the, what has just been announced. And it's starring Sadie Sink and Dylan O'Brien. Sadie Sink's from um, Strange Things and Dylan O'Brien is um, known for Teen Wolf and things like Maze Runner. Um, mm -hmm. But it's very, very, very exciting. Um, and this changes how I'm going to pop... This basically confirms that i'll be listening to all too well first because i'll probably watch this while i listen right. yeah because um, this is just things for me as well <laughs> yeah this is so exciting like all i've ever wanted is an all too well music video and the fact we're going to get a 10 minute one a short film is absolutely insane like and just the um snippet that we've been shown the teaser it just looks amazing with the autumn leaves and the car mm -hmm. i just i'm so excited so excited and, and this obviously explains what taylor's been filming um recently um so yeah it's very 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 exciting um and like i said it's literally just been announced a couple of minutes ago yeah um, so for obviously the listeners you'll be hearing this on tuesday so it will have sunk in but we are absolutely going crazy right now and i think we should just give our initial theory which is who do you think the characters are going to be obviously yes. it says starring taylor sadie sink as you said and dylan o'brien so you know who are they who i'm are they thinking going to that, i'm thinking that dylan o'brien is going to be the love interest and right. i'm wondering who sadie sink is going to be whether she is going to be the kind of um other person, person. the other love interest that dylan o'brien you know ends yeah, the relationship with. with Taylor for yeah. and what is interesting is you explain you explain <laughs> yeah so what's interesting and we just like talked about just before getting back on here is that uh Sadie Sink is obviously a redhead and if we remember the babe music video uh Taylor is actually like the other woman in that video and what color is her hair red and obviously babe exactly. was written around the red album and it was for the red album and it's yeah. possibly about the same relationship as all too exactly. well. So this is very interesting and very exciting. This is not what I expected at all. I expected more of a kind of concert film, possibly. Maybe, um, yeah. Or like I a don't kind know, of some long kind of pondy performance. Kind of thing. Or... Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So this is, it's really going to give all too well its big moment. And yeah. I'm, I'm happy about that. It is a song that's very much loved by the fandom. Yeah. It is crazy it how this song, yeah, has like grown massively. And it's just this huge thing now. It's like, 
a, a kind of essential song now of Taylor's kind of catalogue and it's kind of just grown into this bigger than singles. It's honestly bigger than some singles nowadays. It is. Um, mm-hmm. It is huge. So the fact that it's going to get this starring moment is insane. The lyrics, the handwritten lyrics are all too well are going to be on a the very long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very long, yeah. So it's very, very, very exciting. Okay, so we've come to the end of this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Swiftly Spoken Podcasts and subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is also Swiftly Spoken Podcasts. As well, make sure you let us know your thoughts on the fourth album, Curse, and whether Red and the other albums we discussed deserve to be deemed as cursed albums. And finally, we hope that you have a happy Red Taylor's Version release week.